good morning, everyone. My name's Lee. I'm one of the ministers here at All Saints. It's good to be here this morning. Um, yeah, big welcome if you're new or visiting us uh, or newish uh, or on the live stream. Um, where is that little? Here we are. Alrighty. When you Google human flourishing, you come across this sort of stuff. The five factors, the four components, and the three pillars of human flourishing, among other things. And to be honest, these are great things. I'm sure if we had all these things sorted in our life, we would be in a much better place. Of course, I feel better when I have positive mental health, when I'm connecting with others, have purpose and meaning and a sense of accomplishment. Uh, My psych keeps it simple for me. Get sleep, eat healthy, take breaks, and connect with others. We all want to flourish in life. We want to be at our best. And we each have our own ideas about how we can best flourish and what is it that we really need to flourish. Maybe our... Christmas list or bucket list reflects that. You know, if I just get these things, if I can tick these things off in my life, I can say I've lived my best life. Maybe the way we schedule our week reflects what we think will make us flourish. I'll pour my energy and time into this or that. It's this thing. This is the path. This is the path I need to be on to do well in life and to flourish. What is it we subtly or not so subtly tell ourselves is going to make us flourish? What do we tell our kids? What do we tell our grandkids is the right path to flourishing? I know that there are those of you here who would say, You're not flourishing. Financial stress, poor mental health, job dissatisfaction, relationship problems, loneliness, poor health, feeling disconnected. To be honest, and it's ridiculous as I like even say it, I've been struggling with this feeling of discontentment. But it is ridiculous because I'm so privileged. Like I I compare myself to, to so many people in the world. I'm so secure. I'm so well off. But I could list a dozen things that I'm tempted to think, if I just, if that was sorted, if I had that, if that changed, I'd be better off. Even though I know it's not the answer. I also know that there are those of you who might say, and I've been there as well, you know, I've got the house, the family is doing well, I'm smashing it at school, I'm dating a great guy, I'm healthy, I'm looking forward to a big holiday, you know, I'm, I'm fine. But are those things really the answer? Is that what it means to flourish? Well, Jim Carrey, Christian, praise the Lord, in recent years, actor and comedian, says it best. I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would know that's not the answer. I know this is true. You know this is true. But it's so easy to fall into this trap of thinking if we just have what we want, we'll flourish. 
So how do we truly flourish? Well, God's word in Hosea 14 gives us a simple but not always easy answer. Return. The first thing God says through Hosea is return. Look at verses 1 and 2. You flip flip your Bibles back there or the verses will come on the screen. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Flourishing involves returning to God. If you don't know God, if he's not your God, if he isn't your heavenly father, if you haven't put your trust and hope in him, then you don't have the answer. You can strain your whole life to get what you want, to tick all your boxes, to get everything you ever dreamed of. Or maybe it'll just get handed to you, a lot of it. But without a relationship with your maker, you don't have the answer. You're not truly flourishing. True flourishing involves returning to God. But how do we return to God? Well, Hosea suggests we bring words to God. So do we just, is there a, like a magic thing that we need to say? No, sometimes words can be empty, heartless religion. And that's not what Hosea is encouraging here. He's encouraging his fellow Israelites to own their sins. Notice that he says, your sins have been your downfall. And actually, when they start naming their sins, they get quite specific about their failings. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say, our gods, to what our hands have made. Here, they're admitting their sins. They have been, for a lot of their life, putting their trust in the superpower enemy nation of Assyria. They've relied on them for security. And we've seen this fleshed out in previous sermons. They chose to live like and worship like the Assyrians, hoping that that was the answer. But by ditching God, who is life, death crept up on them. They put their hope in Assyria, but Assyria took the sword to them. They're admitting that they put their trust in war horses. And when it came to war, they laughed at the idea of involving God. Skip God, skip praying, skip seeking God's wisdom, and just get to what we need. Sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? And the third thing there is that they're admitting they give more credit to themselves, what they've made and accomplished. And they've forgotten that it's God who provides. And we can do that as well. We can look to the things that we have and we can end up praising ourselves. There's nothing generic here about their confession. They're naming their sins that that are specific to how they have wandered from God. And when we return to God, we come to him with our lives our mistakes, our wanderings. You know, other words in a song or a confession or in the Bible, they can help us to confront our failings, 
But in our heart, we need to bring our sins. We need to name our sins to God. True flourishing, it seems strange, but it involves an honest return to God. Me owning my specific failings, you owning your specific failings, naming them. Naming what we've been trusting in and putting our hope in besides God. But don't miss verse 4. God says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. We can only return confidently to God, not because we name all our sins, because we'll never be able to do that. Not because we're so in tune to our failings, because we'll never be. Not because our sins aren't that bad. Not because we've tried our best. That's not why we can confidently come before God, but because God has chosen to turn his anger away from us. Now, I reckon verse 4 would have confused potentially the original readers um, of this passage. Where does God's anger go? If he if he turns it away from us, does it maybe it goes on the Assyrians? That would be pretty good. But his anger of my sin, it's it's not really fair if someone else cops it. You know, I hope my children don't cop it or my grandchildren for my mistakes. Maybe those were some of the thoughts going through their head. Well, we know where God diverts his anger because we have the New Testament. He receives us graciously with mercy, not because we first turned to him, but because he first turned his anger from us and onto his son, Jesus. On the cross, God's just and fair anger at our many failings are turned on Jesus. Jesus cops what we deserve. By his wounds, we are healed. Flourishing is returning to your God who loves you fully, who gave his precious and beloved son for you to bring you back to himself. Can I ask, when was the last time you brought heartfelt confession to God? And just rested and found nourishment in his mercy and love. How much do you believe that truly flourishing in this life involves that heartfelt, honest return to God? If you're like me, maybe you're hoping that this holiday period will bring some flourishing. Um... It made me think, well, maybe I could include some returning to God in this holiday period. Maybe in my break, as you know, we set aside time with family and we plan things, we could set aside time where we sit down and we encourage one another to return to God and to be honest about our wanderings. Maybe you could do that too. Maybe you could model it to those around you, whatever you're doing over the summer. Maybe you could tell them what you're bringing to God. That might encourage someone else to be honest before God. Maybe you can do it this week in the busy lead up to Christmas. Stop and rest in his love and mercy. How do we flourish? We return to our gracious God 
Second, we flourish in God, in relationship with God, in our connection with God. It's easy to think, and some Christians promise this, that if we honestly bring our sins to God, if we, we're good Christians, you know, we do all the right things, that God will give us everything we've ever dreamed of, or most of it anyway. If we're good Christians, he'll bless us, right? Even in the next life, in eternity as Christians, we're promised an eternity with, with no suffering, no more suffering, but that doesn't mean heaven is everything we ever dreamed of because our dreams and desires are often pretty distorted. But in this life, we shouldn't expect or even desire to get what we want. Uh, Scotty Smith, Christian writer, writes, Christ-likeness and greater intimacy with Jesus are sabotaged when we make a goal of having a pain-free life and heart. True flourishing isn't pain-free. It's not what God promises. Flourishing in this life, in these verses, has a distinct flavor. Look at the end of verse 8. God says, I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. We're connected to God. He is like the tree and we are the branches. God defines what our flourishing looks like. An orange tree produces oranges. God's people produce godliness. And Jesus suffered. God is a suffering God. In these verses here, we're, you know, pictured as a healthy plant. So if you look at verses 5 and 6, it says, Israel will blossom like a lily, his young shoots will grow, his splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. You know, from these verses, we get a pretty good picture that flourishing is, is kind of like springtime, where flowers and fruit fill our gardens with freshness and fragrance and color. And Jesus and the New Testament writers pick up on this sort of imagery all the time. And it doesn't have anything to do with getting what we want. It's the color and fragrance of Christ-likeness. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and gentleness in a dry, withered, and thorny world. It's fruit that a poor and wealthy Christian can both equally produce. It's fruit that we can produce whether we're having the dream job or a jobless, whether we're succeeding at school or struggling, whether we're youthful or aging, we can produce this fruit. You can flourish in this way. Now, having said that, sometimes our circumstances can leave us with certain fruit, you know, this joy, peace, patience stuff withered in our life. While God maybe is nurturing another fruit. So an example of this in my life, I feel that recently my patience and gentleness fruit have been really tested and are suffering in this season of life. But I have begun to notice, while at the same time I can see God nurturing the kindness and peace fruit in my life. Um, So don't be 
dismayed if you're struggling in one area. Maybe God's doing something in another area of your life. The other thing to notice about this plant imagery is the blessing it brings to others, to the other nations of Israel. It says, people will again dwell in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. The flourishing of God's people will spread to others. You know, if we want to be a flourishing church family, we will be seeking to bring others into the true flourishing of a relationship with Jesus. We'll passionately support our mission partners and other attempts to take the gospel around the world to all peoples. We'll even forsake worldly ideas of flourishing to show and highlight in our life the true flourishing found in the gospel. We'll hold loosely to what God has given us, being generous and loving with what we have instead, witnessing to his kindness and generosity. So true flourishing involves returning to God And it means flourishing in relationship with God, in connection with him, in the soil of the gospel. And thirdly, flourishing means continuing along God's path of flourishing. Just like a computer needs regular updates, which I'm hopeless at doing, but it just stops flourishing, right? The computer, it starts to go slow. Tom doesn't know what I'm talking about. Um, But, you know, the... The one-off update at the start when you like get your new computer is not going to cut it. And a one-off change in our lives 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago, oh yeah, the gospel had an impact on me then. That's not what the gospel promises. Gospel flourishing is continual, lifelong transformation. At the beginning of verse 8, God asked Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. In other words, we don't belong in the same room. We don't both belong in your life. Once you know the true flourishing found only in God, there's really no place for other idols, other hopes, other things that we depend on in our life. Not because God will love us less or more if we have those things or or not if we struggle with that. But it's just what gospel flourishing looks like. When we're tempted to cling to worldly ideas of flourishing, we're to turn back again and again into the caring arms of God. The book of Hosea really ends forcing us as readers to make a choice. It poses some you know, like a two ways to live thing. Look at verse nine. You know, are we going to continue? Are you going to continue along God's path of flourishing? Or will we stumble upon false ideas of flourishing? Let me ask what God asks at the end of this book. Who is wise? Who do you think is wise? When you think about a wise Christian... Who comes to your mind? Who do you think of? Your church minister? Your youth leader? Your parent? Your grandparent? 
that semi-famous Christian writer or podcaster? What is it about them that makes you think that they're wise, that they're a wise Christian? Is it because they have or seem to have all the answers? Is it simply because they have a role in the church? Is it because they're always busy doing churchy Christian stuff? Is it because it appears that they've got it all together? Well, that's not wisdom. Wisdom is continuing to return to God, continuing to walk this path of repentance, this path of confronting our own sins and failings and resting in his mercy and love. By all means, learn from smart Christians. Give thanks for what busy Christians do. But follow those who consistently talk about the joy that God, God's grace brings to their constant struggle with sin. If you're a Christian parent, grandparent, youth leader, church leader, older sibling, if younger Christians look up to you, then be truly wise. Show them what flourishing really is. Don't hide or make light of the ways that you wander from God. Don't major on having all the answers. Major on returning to and resting in God's grace again and again and again. The young Christians in our lives don't need our stories of past moments of flourishing. They need to see what it looks like to flourish today. God's grace still has so much transformation to do in all our lives, whether you're 18 or 80. Russ Masterson says, The truth is, we fear what growing still would mean. What might we hear? What might arise from below the surface? I want to flourish. You want to flourish. But am I ready for the pruning that Jesus might do? Grace isn't always easy. It's not always an easy path. Always having the light of Jesus shine on the dark corners of our lives is humbling. But let's keep trusting that true flourishing is found in continuing along this path of return, returning to him, returning to his grace. Keep yourself rooted and planted in that gospel. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for um, our church. I thank you for everyone here. And yeah, I pray, God, that we would return to you. Um, whatever we're sort of struggling with, that we would would bring it to you, that your spirit would lead us to your love and grace. I particularly pray uh, for those um, who are really and genuinely just having such a hard time in life at the moment. Um, I pray that um, in the midst of it, you would be their joy. You would be their flourishing. Um, and for those who are pretty content with with what they have, and um, yeah, I pray that they would also 
um, come to you um, and not see those things as their true flourishing. Um, yeah, I pray for anyone here tonight who's never returned to you, this morning, sorry, who's never returned to you. I pray that they would return, that they would know that they need you more than anything, that you are the answer. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.